0: Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We've been looking at the book of 1 Samuel and we've been looking at uh, some of the characters in 1 Samuel and I have this belief you can learn from anyone in your life. You can learn what not to do from some people, and you can learn what to do. But we can learn from everyone. So as we've been looking at some of the characters of 1 Samuel, we've learned some great things to do. Now we're going to look at the life of Saul, King Saul, and I've entitled this message, What Not to Do, in impossible situations because what Saul did was the wrong thing to do. And I'll jump ahead to the application. When I give you the three application points, it's actually the opposite of what Saul did. So again, it's that thought we can learn from Saul's life of what not to do. His life was very tragic because he started out with all the potential uh, in the world. He was literally head and shoulders above everyone else. He had the giftedness that he needed, but his life ended tragically. He he went crazy. He ended up dying tragically, and so it squandered potential. And boy, that is a sad, sad state. Squandered potential. Of all the funerals that I've done through the years, and there's been a lot of them, I think the saddest was someone outside of the congregation, no one inside the congregation. They didn't have anyone to do their funeral, and it was of a young man, 36 years old, that had just not made good choices in his life. And, and even though it wasn't during COVID, it was many years ago, there were only two people at the funeral. And that was so sad, the mom and the sister that his life touched no other lives. Now, what does God, I'm not God, and I didn't tell the people that day that I was God or that I knew. I just know that God's mercy is greater than what we can know or understand. That's all, how I minister to that. But when I look at you and when I look at this congregation and I look at the congregation and our church as a whole, we don't want to squander the potential we have. We don't want to miss the opportunities that we have. I don't want you to miss it as an individual, and I don't want us to miss it as a congregation. And so, Paul or Saul I keep saying Paul, but it's Old Testament King Saul. Saul had all the potential in the world, and yet he missed it and it begins he begins this downward slide in chapter 13 and that's what we're going to look at today i'm only going to focus on chapter 13 verses 5 through 14 5 through 14 and again to reiterate the title is what not to do in seemingly impossible situations first samuel 13:5 the philistines mustered a mighty army of 3000 chariots 6000 charioteers and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. And because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in cisterns or, or wells. Some of them even crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul and the army were in in trouble. We know from previous verses they had 3,000 men. Well, they had 3,000 trained men. The Philistines had 3,000 chariots alone and two trained killers on each chariot. So they had 6,000 charioteers, not to mention all the other army that was like the, 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 you know, the sand of the seashore. And so Paul was, in a sense, ah, keep saying Paul, Saul, in a sense, was playing with Tonka trucks, and the Philistines were playing with real tanks. That's what it was like. He's playing with his Tonka trucks, and here's real tanks coming after him, and, and it was overwhelming to him. We know that his men looked at the same situation and were terrified. They were fleeing and hiding anywhere that they possibly could, in bushes, in caves, in wells, whatever it must be. And it's here that Saul makes this terrible mistake that changes everything in his life and everything in his history. Verse 8, Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier. Now Samuel was the prophet and priest of the nation, okay? And so God spoke through the prophet Samuel. And God had spoken through the prophet Samuel. That's how he worked in those days to tell Saul to wait seven days until Samuel got there, and he would offer the sacrifice. So Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, and so he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Now, this seemed like a reasonable thing to do. Maybe he was thinking, well, we need to offer a sacrifice. We don't want to go into battle without offering a sacrifice to God. It seems like it was the reasonable thing to do. And can I tell you, it was the absolute wrong thing to do. Because the bottom line is he was disobedient to the known will of God. And sometimes what seems right in our own eyes is the absolute wrong thing. Because it's not about what's right in our own eyes, it's about what's right in God's eyes. And so we have to be careful when we have these sayings, I'm just going to follow my heart. Well, the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. See? And so what we have to follow is the known will and word of God. Well, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, look at the word of God, and you'll know what the will of God is. There are very few situations in our life where we just don't know what to do. There are many situations where we just don't want to do what we know we should do. And that's really the bigger issue. God's already spoken to us. He's confirmed it through his word. He's confirmed it through other people. And yet we still don't want to do what we know we're supposed to do. That's the bigger issue than not knowing what God wants to do. If you are in a situation and you don't know what to do, then just wait. Wait, worship, and work. Means serve God, and He'll guide you. He's He's your good shepherd, or not. He's either your shepherd or He's not. Okay. And so when you are in a situation and you really don't know what to do, could be job situation, could be uh, uh, housing situation. I don't know. And you really don't. Then worship. Okay. Uh, look to His Word, and work and serve Him, and just wait till He directs you and guides you. We have very few situations in our life. It's not that we don't, but few that we have to make an immediate decision. Now, again, if your kid's running across the street, that's an immediate decision. We're not talking about that. talking about life situations. People can find an exception for everything. I'm just dealing with, you know, not the exceptions, but but the rule here. And so, so Saul says, bring me, again, that emphasis, bring me, the sacrifice. Bring me the burnt offerings. And he did absolutely what was wrong. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, verse 10, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, now this Samuel was a straight shooter, man. He didn't mess around. What is it you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. This is Saul. Uh, and, and, and you didn't arrive when you said, you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. How spiritual he became in the midst of his disobedience. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings myself before you came. So here's three things that Saul did wrong. Okay, These are three things not to do. Number one, He disobeyed God. He disobeyed the known word and will of God. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, period, end of story. He didn't. That's it. That was the mistake that he made. He saw all that was around him, and he didn't obey the Lord. He decided to disobey the Lord. And there are three aspects of this. I won't get too far into this. But his concern about these dwindling forces reveals that he was looking at the human army and not the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts means the God of heaven's armies. You talk about too many to number. However many Philistines were, there are more angels that God is in charge of and in control of. So Saul, although he had seen God work, when he was in an impossible situation, he chose to forget how God had worked in the past. Although he knew the stories of Gideon. Do you know the story of Gideon? Gideon had all these men. It dwindled down to 300. And who won the victory? It's not Gideon. Who? God. See? Saul knew that story. It was well known throughout all of Israel. He had been taught that from birth. They knew of Gideon. But he decided that he was going to look at the human armies and not at the Lord. He was going to trust his own eyes and not in the Lord. His concern with just offering this sacrifice shows that even theologically he wasn't very sound. And later on he makes the same mistake. And Samuel tells him this, and you'll know this. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. And for in our... Terms. It would be, listen, you can stand at the right time, you can sing the right song, you can lift your hands, you can give, you can do all of that. But if you're not going to obey, then it means nothing before God. Because he would rather you just obey the known will of God than somehow try to get over on God. And isn't that really what Saul was trying to do, trying to manipulate God to do what he wanted him to do when he wanted to do it? And don't we sometimes fall into the same trap of trying to manipulate God? Well, God, I'll do this if you do that. Do you understand you're negotiating with Almighty God? And he doesn't negotiate. Okay? Because he is supreme. You don't negotiate with Almighty God. He gives us his grace sometimes, but you don't negotiate with him. Well, you know, God wants me to do this, and well, God, I'll do this and if you do this. No, you're not negotiating with God. He could, I mean, careful with my theology in the New Testament, but honestly, God could choose to just not have you exist anymore. And he would be right in doing that because all sin leads to death, according to Ezekiel 18. Who's going to judge God? Whatever God does is right. And so I'm just saying, be careful when we we minimize the the majesty and the the awesomeness of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 6 and you see that. Powerful. Powerful. Isaiah went into the throne room of God in chapter 6, didn't negotiate with God. He fell on his face and said, I am a man of unclean lips. You know? We get into the presence of God. We don't feel better about ourselves. We feel better about God. And that's really the purpose of it. See, The purpose of church, even, uh, is not to feel better about yourself. It's to feel better about God. And, and then you begin to realize how much he loves you. See, I've had people leave this church that have told me, well, we come to church to feel better about ourselves. And me being unable to control my lips sometimes, say, well, it's not about you feeling better about yourself, it's you feeling better about Jesus. Well, they didn't like that. And so they left. And the church has gone downhill since then, obviously. But here's another part of the disobedience. I'll phrase it like this. Saul got out of his lane. You ever heard that, stay in your lane? (laughs) What's that mean, basically? Stay in your lane, huh? Yeah, you worry about your stuff. You do your job, I'll do mine. Stay in your lane. Don't get out of your lane. Well, Saul, uh, Saul was already king, but now he wanted to be priest, too. And he was overstepping the authority that God had established for the nation of Israel. Did Saul have authority? Yes, as king over the nation. But he wasn't a priest. He was not the intercessor between God and man. That, at that particular point in Israel's history was Samuel. And that's how God chose to work. God chose to establish the authoritative structure in this situation. And Saul, because he was head and shoulders above everybody else, said, not only am I going to do my job, I'm going to do yours. And that always, always, always leads to trouble. And so he disobeyed by getting out of his lane. His action implies that it wasn't necessarily necessary to wait on the Lord. He was just going to take things into his own hands. Is there ever a time in Scripture where I can't think of where someone that took things into their own hands and it turned out to be the right decision? The right decision is always to leave things in God's hands. Okay, And I'm going to tell you in a little bit, it's not easy. It's funny, I was talking to the online congregation today. I said, when I say online a little bit, it's five minutes, but on-site a little bit could be a half hour. Uh, It won't be today, but eventually I have to end down there. Eventually I could keep going, and you you all would just leave, and I'm not bright enough to know it's time to land this baby, okay? Uh, But I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. So The first and biggest mistake, and he was making all of these mistakes at once, It's not in order of significance as much as it was all happening. The big one was disobedience. The second one was he panicked. He stopped thinking clearly because the situation looked impossible. He began to think to himself. He didn't seek wise counsel. He sought his own counsel. Catch that one. He didn't seek wise counsel. He sought his own counsel. Okay? Uh, He stopped thinking of the consequences. A wise person can look at a decision or at least, you know, process things like, well, if I do this, what's the ripple effect of it? If I throw this stone in the water, what's the ripple effect of it? A foolish person, no idea. I'm just going to jump in the water. Well, it's, there's a rock. I'm going to dive into the water because that's what I want to do. Well, there's a rock that you can't see that's only two feet down and you're going to hit it with your head. See, a wise person checks things out first. Okay? Anyway. He panicked. Now, again, I'm not talking about your kid running across the street. Panic and do something about it immediately. I'm talking about situations where you have a moment to step back, to take a deep breath, and to think. I can't tell you what a difference it's made in my life, and I say this sincerely, to learn to breathe through my nose and out through my mouth. I just stop, and I just... Take a deep breath. And if it's time where I can worship, I just I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And I, I, or I'll say thank you, God, for being faithful in and out with praise. Lord, I love you. Just take a deep breath. It makes a difference. In, out. When you have time to do that, do that. Step back. God will begin to work and speak to your heart through that. He panicked. He stopped thinking clearly. He stopped thinking of the consequences, the ramification of his decisions. And the third thing he did is he blamed everybody but himself. He blamed the men because they were fleeing. If they hadn't fleed, I wouldn't have disobeyed you, God. Does that excuse wash with Almighty God? No. No. They'll have to answer on their own, right? And maybe they were the smart ones. I don't know. But they'll have to answer that on their own. He blamed Samuel. Samuel, if you weren't always late, if you had been here, Samuel, I wouldn't have done it. Did that excuse wash with God? No. And he blamed the Philistines. Well, it's these nasty Philistines. These nasty Philistines, these nasty people around me, they made me disobey the known will and word of God. Nope. None of that's going to wash. I've said this before, I might say it a thousand more times because it made such an impact on my life. At Lindsay's baccalaureate when she graduated, the church service before the commencement, the guy finished preaching, and he said, I want you to mentally take out a piece of paper and write down the excuse of you not serving God. And he said, hang on to that, because you'll get asked on, on earth someday, why aren't you serving the Lord? And you say, well, because the, the people at the church were mean to me, or whatever, I don't know, whatever the excuse is. Uh, well, why didn't you serve the Lord? I was so busy. I was so busy because I, I needed the money. He said, make sure you write down these excuses because someday you're going to have to present them to Jesus. Gives me chills thinking about it. See, Paul, Saul, Saul, had no excuse for his own actions he was the most powerful man in Israel at that time. And not only that, he's not, a, he's not an animal, and you're not an animal that acts on instinct. Between stimulus and response is free will. That's why we're held accountable for our decisions, and animals might not be. That's the difference. Okay. Samuel lays it on him. Verse 13, how foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over all of Israel. See disobedience. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We know who that is, right? It was David. This is before we ever hear of David, I think. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because, have not, uh, because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Samuel didn't waste any time, nor did he accept excuses. If you have people in your life that won't waste your time or accept your excuses, thank God for them. We all need them. We all need people in our lives that will not accept all of our excuses, but will be a street shooter with us and tell us the truth. He says, you've not obeyed the Lord's command. That's it. That's the bottom line. There's no excuses. And here's the consequences. Your kingdom's going to end, and the Lord is replacing you. You've not kept the Lord's command. God takes disobedience to the known will of God very seriously. And especially when you're in a leadership position, God takes it very, very seriously. Wow. So let's review, and then I'm going to give you some applications. Let's review. Saul thought he was in an impossible situation. He wasn't because all things are possible with God. Saul wanted to be priest and king. He wasn't priest. He was king. Saul thought it was everyone else's fault. It wasn't. And so what's the application when facing fearful, seemingly impossible situations? And again, I'll reemphasize, do the opposite of what Saul did. So when you're faced with an impossible situation and it seems like the army around you is greater than the army with you the first thing you do is obey God and obey his word and obey his will because God's will is better than yours and God knows what's best because he sees the whole picture he sees all of eternity See, right now I can only see to the glass door back there. And if I was looking out, I could only see to the neighbor's house. God sees the whole world and the whole universe all at once. That's why his will is better than ours. And his will will always accomplish what he wants to accomplish through his will is three things. For his glory, for our good, and for the benefit of others. And so you don't have to fear God's will Because God's will is what's best, all right? So obey God's word. Look what he says to Joshua 22.3. During all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. You have been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to this present day. You know that song, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho? Was Joshua facing impossible situation? Yep. Did Joshua know the will of God? Yep, and it seemed crazy, right? Here's what I want you to do, great General Joshua. I want you to march around Jericho silently, once a day for seven days, and then on the seventh day, seven times. And then when I tell you, uh, blow the trumpets. Doesn't God? I know you're God. Doesn't sound like a strong military strategy what about like arrows and spears and what about things we can put up on the wall to climb the walls? God says, (laughs) "Now, that's dumb. Just do what I tell you to do and you won't have to worry about climbing the walls because the walls will come tumbling down. See? Joshua obeyed. It goes on in verse 5, Joshua 22. But be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave you. And here they are. Here's all the commands of God broken down. Love the Lord your God. Number one walk in all his ways, obey his commands, hold firmly to him, serve him with all your heart and all your soul. There you go. I don't know what to do. I love the Lord, I worship, work, serve him. Now I'm going to talk to you about the number one thing that I've seen in 35 years of ministry that have led people away from a relationship to the Lord, and that's their relationship to other people. It could be a wife, a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a live in partner over obedience to the known will of God. And here's, here's what happens here is that people choose an earthly Savior over the true Savior. That's what happens. When you're involved in a relationship that you know is outside of the will of God, and you know it, you're choosing an earthly Savior instead of the Savior. And people do that all the time. That they're more afraid of being alone than rousing the anger of Almighty God. And what happens is, is when you live outside of the known will and word of God, you end up more alone, not less alone. And so be careful if your impossible situation is based in relationships. Just be careful. God loves you, He's there for you. I forget what I said on the online service, but it's something like it's better to be alone and serve God than be together with someone else and serve the devil. Sorry. Not sorry. That's the fact. And I've seen it. I've seen young people with unlimited potential get involved in a relationship that wasn't pleasing to the Lord, and now they're not serving the Lord at all. They're still serving, but they're serving their perceived Savior and not the real Savior. So be careful in relationships. The second is money. Jesus said, You got two gods, and you can't serve them both money and God okay people trust in money to meet all of their needs over Jehovah Jireh who is the God that sees and provides if I just had more money everything would be all right if I had more money then I could you know I could serve God I could do what God wants me to do listen you'll never have enough money to change your heart it could change your circumstances I'm not against money I'd like to have more someday But it's not your savior and it'll never meet your greatest needs in fact if you're not careful you'll begin to serve money more than you'll serve the savior and instead of gaining everything you'll lose everything because you ain't taking nothing with you and i know that's poor english but i'm a preacher and you get the point amen i'm a communicator people don't always like me but i'm a communicator be careful who you're serving. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus. And what oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Number two, stay calm. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Did he panic, throw himself against the stone, weep and cry and all that? Nope. Sleeping with the lions, at least according to the flannel graph I remember when I was a kid. I just lost most of you. Don't even know what a flannel graph is. It's a it's a gif. It's a gif on your phone. <laughs> I see you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old school gif. Uh, sleeping, yeah, no, sleep over the lions. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, you know what, if we die, we die. We'd rather die serving God than live serving the devil. Is that not what they said? We'd rather die serving God, because we ain't serving you, Nebuchadnezzar. I keep saying ain't, sorry. Uh, if that's offensive to you, I take full credit uh, for that. But uh, we, we ain't serving you, so we'd rather die and serve the Lord. Then live and serve the devil. Stay calm in these. God is with you. He's not against you, He's for you. Okay. We used to, well, I still like going to the zoo, but we would take the kids to the the zoo when they were younger. And there's a lion encasement, if you can picture this. And now listen, if your back is turned and the lion runs at you and you turn, it's going to startle you. I get that. And you should be startled. But there's a difference between seeing the lion coming at you. At the zoo, when he's in the encasement, you don't panic. Why? Because you believe the glass will protect you from that lion. And why? Because that glass has already protected millions of people that have come through that same spot. Right? Can I tell you there's something greater than the glass at the zoo and it's the God in heaven? And when you see the roaring lion coming at you, you don't have to panic either because you have a God that's greater than the roaring lion because the enemy is not a roaring lion. He seems like a roaring lion. He looks like it when he's coming to you, but don't panic. You can trust in God and he will be there for you. That's what faith is all about. God, just as the glass will keep the lion at bay, God will keep the lion at bay in your life, the spiritual line. And then third and last is accept responsibility. Don't blame others. Name the blame and give it to God. It it, it goes like this. It's my fault. I disobeyed. I'm sorry. And here's the next phrase. Ready? Please forgive me. And you know what God does? He forgives you. Watch this verse. If you don't know it, you need to know it. Find it, underline it, memorize it. 1 John 1.9. You know it. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you're not going to confess your sins if you blame everybody else for your mistakes. Accept responsibility. Do you know the difference between Saul and David? Because David wasn't perfect either. David repented. Saul never did. Saul never accepted responsibility for his own mistakes. David did. And David made horrendous mistakes. Nobody's going to live a perfect life. Nobody's always going to make the perfect decisions. No one's going to live sin-free other than Jesus, and they crucified him. You're safe in regards of crucifixion because none of us are perfect. What do we do when we make mistakes? This is the good news of the gospel. We admit it, we confess it to God, we receive his forgiveness, and he cleanses us from all of our sins. That's the good news of the gospel. Don't stay away from the zoo because you're afraid the glass will break and don't stop living life because you're afraid God isn't good. Because God is good. You can trust the glass at the zoo but even more than that, you can trust the God of heaven when the roaring lion comes after you. Watch this verse and then I'll read a poem. One verse, one poem. Matthew 6, 25 through 27. This is Jesus' words, red-letter Jesus' words. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What's the answer? It's rhetorical. No. But all your worries can take life from your days. Cute poem I heard someone say, and then I looked it up. It says this. said, the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these human beings rush around and and worry so said the sparrow to the robin, Oh, I, I think that it must be. They have no heavenly father such as cares for them like you and me. You have a heavenly father. He loves you desperately. That's not even a good word. He loves you with an intensity that my vocabulary is not large enough for. That's how much he loves you. And he's not a fair weather friend that just says he loves you and when you need him most, he's nowhere to be found. He's a loving heavenly father that sent his only son to die on the cross to prove his love for you. If you ever wonder about the love of God, don't look at your circumstances, look at the cross. Because we have a loving Father that cares for us. Listen, we all face impossible situations. You might be in one now. Don't do what Saul did. Instead, obey. Stay calm. And if you've sinned, confess it to the Lord and let him cleanse you from all of that. And go on living. Because he specializes in taking our past, throwing it aside, and giving us a new life and a better life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.